Rebel Force Radio is brought to you in part by Little Debbie Snacks, bakers of all galactic goodness, like mini donuts, star crunch, cosmic cupcakes, cosmic brownies, nutty bars, and much more. Little Debbie, official snack of Rebel Force Radio and fans around the galaxy. Support our programming at patreon.com slash rebelforceradio. Become a patron, and your contributions can help unlock bonus shows from RFR, online hangouts with the Rebel Force Radio crew, and more. Say it loud and say it proud. Support Rebel Force Radio. Click on the Patreon banner at rebelforceradio.com or visit patreon.com slash rebelforceradio. From Tops comes the all-new digital card collecting app, Star Wars Card Trader. For the first time ever, collect and trade everything from legendary 1977 Star Wars cards to new cards featuring exclusive content from Star Wars Episode 7: The Force Awakens, all from the comfort of your mobile device. Star Wars Card Trader. These are the cards you're looking for. Let's get it, Star Wars! Let's get it, Star Wars in here! Let's get it, Star Wars! Let's get it, Star Wars, in here! A small rebel force has penetrated the shield and landed on Endor. This is where the fun begins. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. This is Rebel Force Radio. Your source for the Force. Star Wars news and commentary. With Jason Swank and Jimmy Mack. I've seen Star Wars 500 times. Star Wars number one. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I suggest we use it. Now it's time for Rebel Force Radio. We would be honored if you would join us. Well, who'd have ever thought that Natalie Portman would be a Star Wars fan? Well, she's not actually. She doesn't say she is, but her son is. We'll be talking about that this week. As well as William Shatner. He, boy, did he stir up a little bit of a hornet's nest. Told a room full of Trekkies that Star Wars is credited with creating Star Trek. Bunch of head scratching going on out there and we've got some uh more news about rogue one that international trailer that hit this week as well as a little bit of catch-up from last week uh lots and lots of great stuff to talk about of course here at rebel force radio this week's show for august 19th 2016 the week of so great to have you with us glad that we can uh spend some time together and talk about star wars and with me Doing that with me, with you, with all of us, my good friend and yours from Chicago, Jimmy Mack. Hey, Jason. Hey, Star Wars fans. You know, as long as we're catching up on things, mm-hmm. let me just let me just clear my conscience of something here right out of the gate, okay? And this is going back a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about that book, the new Star Wars book, Star Wars Aftermath, Life Debt yeah. by Chuck Wendig, okay? Life Day. <laughs> Life, no, life dead. Oh, life dead, life dead. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's not the holiday special. <laughs> I so badly want it to be called Life Day. I know, I know you do because that's <laughs> at least the second time you've done that. And and so don't get into my head and make me start doing it. Because as we know here, at Rebel Force Radio, stupidity is contagious. So, um, <laughs> life debt. Yes. But uh, you know, we were having a lot of laughs with it, talking about some of you know, kind of the absurdities within the book itself. And that prompted a lot of our listeners to, uh, to, uh, you know, take to the social media and stuff and, and, and share the laughs with us because that's all it was. We were just having some laughs, Mm -hmm. but some people posted things like, thanks Jimmy Mack for 
for reviewing that so I know to avoid it. And thanks, Jimmy Mack. This sounds like some of the worst of the EU. Now, something I want to make crystal clear to everyone listening to this show is that I never said you shouldn't read this book. Let me just say, we were having a lot of fun with it, but I actually recommend Star Wars Aftermath Life Debt. I did not like the first book in the Aftermath series. I thought it was too much at once, but I find this book is much more focused. It's it's an action-packed read. It's a, a lot of good Han Solo stuff. It's a lot of good early development of the First Order or the remnants of the empire. And, uh, I think it's well paced. I, I did enjoy it. So I just want people to know that just because we have some laughs with it doesn't mean it's a bad book. We, we have laughs with all kinds of star Wars stuff, but uh, you know, right. Of course. Now, would it be accurate, Jim, to say that, that the second book here in the aftermath, the, the life debt book does a better job of setting up the characters and situations of force awakens than did the first one. Not at all. Not at all. This is way much more of a follow-up to Return of the Jedi than a setup to The Force Awakens, despite some of the marketing that was in place, right. especially for the first book. And that's part of what disappointed me about the first book. Um, and all, it's just there was just too much going on in the first book. Hmm. This book is much more focused. It has much, so much more of the main characters that we know. And yes, it does set up some of The Force Awakens. Much more so than the first book. I shouldn't say that it's more of a continuation of Return of the Jedi than a setup to The Force Awakens, because there are some very distinct parts in this book which do set up The Force Awakens. Things yeah. like, you know, we're speculating that character Rax could be Snoke. We're not 100% sure, but we're starting to see how the First Order is building its foundation. And there is a sequence on Jakku. It's a flashback sequence, but it's there. And... uh so that's pretty important stuff, I think, when you're, you're thinking about how this provides a bridge between the original trilogy and the sequel trilogy. But the thing I just wanted to, to, to get across more than anything, and maybe I did a poor job of doing this when we were actually talking about the book itself a couple of weeks ago, but I recommend the book. I enjoyed the book, and I had a lot of fun reading it. So, uh, yeah, definitely Aftermath Life Debt. And I'm curious to see how it's all going to wrap up with Empire's End. I believe that's what they call it. That was the name of an old Dark Horse comic back in the 90s. But uh, from what I understand, that third book is actually going to be pushed back from its January date to a February date in 2017. So it's being pushed back about three weeks. That's news I just heard this week. Uh, all right. Well, okay. So you heard it here. We're not saying that or discouraging anybody from reading the book. We're just... Uh, talking about some of the revelations that came out of it and i think the point is in between some of those you know more absurdities uh there's some there's some really good stuff there so uh, uh but but jim i will i'll just take your word for it okay can i <laughs> well i know you're not gonna read it but <laughs> i'll have to take your word for it uh but uh you know last week uh we had uh, savannah Kiefer on the program with us and it was so much fun that we thought, why not get somebody else uh, uh, in the studio with us? An old friend of ours. We haven't talked to him in a while, but it's so great to have him back on the show. Filmmaker, producer, director, podcaster. You know him from the summer of 78. Hughes the Force. Also, the comlink. Our pal, J.C. Reifenberg. J.C., welcome back to Rebel Force Radio, man. Hey, guys. I'm super excited to talk Star Wars ever since we 
haven't been doing weekly comlink. I feel like my uh, wars talk is definitely uh, lacking. I, I don't have the like outlet to hang out with Collins every week and and talk about the latest and greatest. Well, you know, a lot of people, a lot of Rebel Force Radio listeners, they reach out to us and they say, "What's up with the comlink? Where'd it go? Is it ever going to come back?" So is there anything you could tell us about a potential future for the Comlink? Yeah. So, you know, uh, last year when we kind of stopped doing it after Celebration, uh, I actually was working on Kevin Smith's movie Yoga Hosers and like super involved in that. Um, and that basically stole all of my my time and my life. Um, great experience, but not a lot of time to uh, produce Star Wars content. And uh, we all just got super busy. And at the end of that, we lost our studio. It just got too expensive to keep the studio. So we've been homeless for uh, the past year. Uh, but things are looking up. I have um, been helping Kevin Smith build a, uh, a new studio for his podcast stuff. And I'm hoping if, uh, if we can all clear our schedules this fall, that maybe we can bring some... Uh, some Comlink episodes back out to you guys, you know, maybe around Rogue One, leading up to Rogue One and through Rogue One. Because um, we still have a ton of great content that we haven't aired from the last last go round. So, oh, so you got yeah. stuff? You got stuff that sits on the shelf, like George? <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's stuff that's sitting on the shelf. We've got a John Dykstra interview sitting on the shelf, waiting to rear its rear its head. So, yeah, there's some great stuff uh, that we just haven't put out there quite yet um i will say james arnold taylor on his youtube is uh has thrown up some lost episodes of certain point of view if people are really hungry and they haven't uh haven't seen that so um you can check that stuff out on his youtube page can you still see the old comlink episode old, old comlinks are still up um i think he put up like five or six new a certain point of view debate shows. So like, uh, Sam Whitwer and Matt Lanter and me. And, uh, I think there was one up with, and I, I'm Jim Cummings is up there. So there's some, there's a, a little bit of new comlink stuff, new old comlink stuff floating around. And then hopefully this, uh, coming up this, um, this fall, you know, David and Rourke and Amy and I've all been talking like we need to get back into this. So, I think, I think if you're patient, hopefully we can do like another ten episode run this fall. Cool, cool, very cool. So I'm and, super excited yeah. about that. John Dykstra, that sounds amazing. So yeah, let's make it happen, Captain. Bring the Comlink back. I, I held his Star Wars Emmy. It was crazy, Ooh. or not Emmy? Oh man, I'm Oscar. crazy. Uh, Oscar. <laughs> I was going to say the All holiday the special won an Emmy. <laughs> <laughs> All the Emmy pre-show talk got my brain screwed up. Yeah, his Star Wars Oscar. I held it in my hand. It was crazy. Um, but yeah, so uh, so cool stuff. Hopefully, hopefully we can do that. Well, that's um, good. Well, that's yeah. awesome. Well, well, thanks for joining us, and uh, and you're just going to stick around and and kind of jump in. Yeah. Out news stories or whatever yeah. all right hang cool. out talk 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 star wars i've been watching that international trailer all day too so oh yeah we'll we'll definitely be going through that uh but first uh, some sad news i'm sure that uh, of course all the star wars fans out there listening uh, know that uh we lost one of our own uh last week uh the legendary kenny baker the heart and soul as so many called him 
of R2-D2 passed away at the uh, the ripe old age of uh, almost 82, almost made it 82 years. Amazing. Just about uh, 11 days shy of his 82nd birthday, passed away on August 13th uh, over in the U.K. And, uh, fellas, you know, this stuff, you know, it's never easy uh, to lose someone who's, you know, part of the family like this. And this is uh, really the first one of the core set of... Uh, key individuals and you think about that um list that roster of those principal actors uh from the original trilogy the first one that uh we've lost and it's it's sad you know star trek fans have been kind of dealing with this uh for a while now as uh those actors are you know getting up there in years and and passing on but kenny's the first one uh it's it's hard to be too sad you know he lived almost 82 years in a really full fun life uh, and, you know, there, been, it's been really fun to kind of read the reminiscences of people and um, uh, about what a what a fun guy he was, how great he was to be around. He was the life of the party, made everybody laugh. Um, and uh, George Lucas, uh, he commented on him and, and George talked about what a great sport he was, you know, kind of for all of the stuff that he had to put up with, you know, while filming uh, the Star Wars movies. And, the tin uh, can out in the desert. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, Absolutely. Kenny would tell a lot of funny stories about being in that tin can. He would say they would go off to lunch and forget about him and leave him <laughs> in there. They would, um, they would put dirty pictures on the inside of the dome. So he'd be looking at like Playboy magazine centerfolds up there while he was in there. Um, and, uh, of course, Bonnie Burton is always fond of mentioning that photograph taken of him in Tunisia on set during a break where he's in the R2-D2 can shoving a giant hot dog into his mouth. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you know, he was just he just had that kind of impact. I know I've been around him a couple of times. One time was before I started doing the Star Wars podcasting thing, and this was probably 12, maybe 13 years ago, and I was at a show here in Chicago called the CECE the Chicagoland Entertainment Collectors Expo. And Kenny was there with Peter Mayhew. And uh, I think there was maybe there might have even been some other Star Wars actors there. It seemed like every year it was a very small convention, very small, at a Holiday Inn in the suburbs. <clears throat> and uh, I what said... Year was, what year was this, Jim? I, I'd have to... If I were to guess, I would say maybe just prior to... Revenge of the Sith, maybe oh, okay. 2003, right. 2004. I thought this was going back to like the men behind the masks mm. days, you know, before, you know, Star Wars conventions were really anything. No, not, not quite so far back. But when they were touring with that kind of thing uh, and they, it was called the men behind the masks. And this was the first time guys like Peter and Jeremy Bullock and Kenny Baker went out there and, and pressed flesh with uh, with their adoring fans. And um during those times, they would show up on my wife Wendy's talk radio show on Q101. She did uh, morning talk radio back then on a, an alternative rock station. And she had Peter and and uh, I, I'm, she did have Kenny, yes, because I, I gave her the red card uh, Hasbro POTF2 R2-D2 action figure and he signed it for me. 
And uh, so that was uh, very cool. So Wendy would interview him on her show and stuff. And like I said, this was before the time of podcasting. But I went to this show, and what was great about it was it was right there in the Holiday Inn. And so they did a little Q&A in a very small ballroom. There weren't many of us in there. And we were just, you know, Q&A. It wasn't like at a convention like Star Wars Celebration where you line up behind a microphone and ask a question when it's your turn. We were just shouting stuff from our chairs at him. You know, we were all just kind of kicked back having a bunch of laughs. And Kenny was being really funny. And afterwards, everyone walked right out of that room. There weren't that many of us. There were only about 20 people there. And we all walked right over to the bar. And Kenny Baker sat up there on a bar stool, and I bought him a beer. And he drank the beer, and we had some laughs. So there was a circle of people around us. And Kenny spun around and went right off that bar stool. It's like, boom, where was he? <laughs> but, you know, I mean, that, so that was like kind of my brush with greatness. And then uh, a few years later, Jason, we were in L.A., for Star Wars Celebration 4, and every night, every actor in attendance ended up in this one hotel bar. I can't remember the one, but we were there a couple of nights. Oh, yeah. And, and Kenny was there, and he was playing harmonica at that one, too. <laughs> oh, man. He was, like, dancing around and just being crazy. It, it, was, it was a lot of fun. So he's, like, the consummate entertainer. You know, he had that career as a vaudevillian entertainer back when he was younger. And he knew all the tricks, you know, how to how to get people laughing. And, of course, you know, his work in Time Bandits. A lot of people uh, cite that because there you're seeing Kenny on screen, you know, and he was part of that that crew. And um, and also uh, he played Paplu, my favorite Ewok. He was the Ewok who stole the speeder bike on Endor. So, you know, what what, what a incredible checklist of accomplishments, Star Wars and beyond for Kenny Baker. And I know he was a fan favorite and I know that Star Wars conventions will kind of feel a little empty like the tin can itself, you know, without Kenny there. So yeah. um, definitely somebody we're, we're going to miss having around. And just the fact that he was in Star Wars to begin with, what a revolutionary role. Most people, you, you have a robot in your movie, you can make it remote control, make it remote control. But that wasn't good enough for George. He had to have a personality to the droid. He had to have some sort of human element to the machinery. And by putting Kenny in there, you know, him shaking R2 around when R2's nervous or just the, the, the silly things, the, the walk he would do, that waddle he would do, the R2 waddle. Just so many great moments with Kenny in there that a lot of people don't realize because they think it is a remote-controlled robot when it isn't. It was all Kenny. And uh, he is the one who brought the personality to R2. He really did. Yeah, Man, I uh, listening to you talk about it, I'm like, I feel like a a hole in my life that I didn't get to hang out with him, you know? <laughs> well, if you didn't like, get to was, hang out with, uh, with Kenny Baker for a little bit, there is a hole in your life. There, there, there should be, uh, um, man, it's, that sounds awesome. The, uh, you know, the, the thing that struck me because I never got to drink beers with Kenny Baker at a bar was the amount of artwork that showed up on my Facebook feed that, uh, artists drew, of R2-D2 and C-3PO or, uh, you know, inspired by his passing. I thought that I was, I mean, there were, there were ones that like I, my eyes welled up because it was yeah. just so moving. And, uh, and, you know, that's one of the cool things about being involved in Star Wars is these guys have inspired countless artists in all, all facets, you know, and, uh, it, just beyond the movie, he inspired so many people to, to, to 
go and do what they they love. Um, it, it's just awesome, you know. Yeah, yeah, and you know, the, the, Jim, you, you bring up a great point about George not being satisfied with just you know having something uh, robotic, and of course, you know, the, the stories are legend about the technical problems that they had with uh, when they did try to go, you know, all animatronic and all automatic and all robotic. Um, but I think some of it was about giving uh, Anthony Daniels something to sort of play off of. It was probably uh, easier for him to, you know, conceive and perceive the droid as, having, as being a personality with uh, someone like Kenny Baker inside. And I think as a result, it raised everyone's performance. You know, it wasn't like you were just talking to a garbage can. You were, you were actually bouncing things off of an actor in there. And it had to elevate everyone else's performance around him. So, you know, these are little intangible things. I, it, it's hard to even conceive of when you're actually watching Star Wars because you become so immersed into it. But we like to hear a lot of the behind-the-scenes stories. We like to know how this film was made. And we're always deconstructing it. And so that's it. But when you, when you take away the R2 and you got Kenny there, it's just, um, you know, it's just, it's, it's going to be a, a tough pill to swallow with, with, without having him around anymore. Uh, there was this great, this great little piece of artwork, you know, JC, you were talking about artwork going on out there, uh, that uh, Tom Kane shared. And then I, in turn, shared it. It's by someone on Facebook called MJ Hiblin, H-I-B-L-E-N, art. And um, it's this great sketch of R2, but R2 standing there, but the dome is off. The dome has been removed from R2, so it's just the body of R2, okay? And the dome is there upside down on the ground. And then just a few feet away, there's a single rose growing up out of the ground. And that was a nice little picture. It's on my Facebook page. I'll share it on the Rebel Force Radio Facebook page, too. But that was a tribute to Kenny Baker. And it was just, it was so touching to see that. Um, so many people replied on my Facebook page, including my mom. <laughs> my mom. She's like, oh, how lovely. And then she wrote, mom. <laughs> you know, I saw that, Jim, and I, and I uh, shared it as well and, and had the same experience, the people commenting on it, that you wouldn't necessarily say are Star Wars fans. It reminded me of a great illustration after Mel Blanc died. And if you recall, it was all of the Looney Tunes characters standing around a microphone uh, with their heads bowed and the caption just read, Speechless. And uh, so that, you know, Kenny Baker, that, that, that drawing of sort of an empty R2 um, with the rose uh, was, uh, you know, that, that type, stirred that kind of emotion. And uh, again, a, a guy that lived a full life, but... Um, you know, we probably would have liked to have him around a little bit longer. I also appreciate the fact that he was just at Celebration Europe um, and and still signing and still um, meeting the fans. There was a time uh, where a few years ago where Kenny did what we thought was going to be his last convention uh, and was restricted. There, he couldn't travel. And then uh, he started moving around again. It was just you couldn't keep him down. Uh, Mark Draven, our friend who runs the Tattoo Pavilion at Star Wars Celebration and lots of other conventions all over the country. Um, Mark 
<laughs> Remember, I was so confused by something that was being said about Mark at Celebration 6. It's when I got my tattoo. Because Mark is the guy who gave me my Wolfpack tattoo on my shoulder. And I was looking for him before the tattoo happened. And they, everyone was saying, oh, he's not here right now. He's doing Kenny Baker's hands. He's doing Kenny Baker's hands. And so I was just left with this image of Mark <laughs> with the tattoo gun, you know, etching something on Kenny Baker's hands. It just seemed like, well, this just doesn't seem right. He's 70 something years old and he's getting his hands all tatted up. What could that possibly be? Well, I found out that Mark was actually taking um, a cement impression of Kenny's hands, a la the Chinese theater and Hollywood and everything like that. So it was like that kind of thing. That's what they meant. I thought he was getting R2-D2 across the knucks. That's what I... (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know what? Maybe somebody should do that as a tribute to Kenny Baker because yeah. you can just fit on one hand, you know, R2-D2. I, I know some people who uh, would actually do that if we suggested it to them. So we'll remember that for the next celebration. But uh, Kenny was sure. great. And, of course, Star Wars Celebration, like you said, Jason, he was there. He was working till the very end. He was out there in Europe. And uh, he was out there at the very first Star Wars Celebration you and I attended together. Back in 2007 in L.A., Star Wars Celebration 4, and uh, we were there, uh, we were uh, working that convention, and uh, we, uh, had, um, we had badges that allowed us early access to the convention floor. So we were uh, making the rounds as we would in the morning, and we stopped by uh, the Ralph McQuarrie booth, and we saw Paul Bateman and Athena. And Athena was, you know, always very spirited and energetic and ready to rock. And she saw me and I was holding a microphone and she said, Oh, you have to talk to Kenny. So she just (laughs) grabbed me by the shirt and dragged me right to Kenny Baker and put me right in front of him. And I had a brief conversation with him. So I pulled up, I dusted up the old, off the old audio. I have not heard this in the longest time, but this is a, a really quick impromptu conversation i had with kenny baker at star wars celebration 4 in 2007 los angeles how you doing kenny okay not bad you having a good time this weekend i uh, well, um, yes pretty good <laughs> not much time to think about it, really how, how does this compare with previous celebrations for you well it's one of the biggest so it's this one in uh, san diego and there's one in uh, birmingham in england and there'll be one in London a bit later this year. There weren't so big ones around, you know, but they're, they're, they're worth coming to. Lots of people. R2-D2 was always very popular with children. Do you find a lot of kids approaching you uh, excited to meet R2-D2? Yeah, it's amazing. We have, uh, there's about four generations of people now coming up to us. It's amazing that it's carried on this long, 30 years. It might carry on for another five years or so. Who knows? I think it's going to carry on for a, a very, very long time. And uh, we hope to see you at these events. I want to thank you for coming out to this. Thank you. And uh, just uh, any thoughts on the legacy of R2-D2 and what you guys have done over the last 30 years? Well, I don't think much about it. You know, I was just retired, really. I'm trying to sort of slow down slightly. But uh, the, the legacy, really, is that, I mean, the whole thing changed after Star Wars. Yeah, it was a different ball game after that, and uh, at the other, that kind of movie, after you know, 
cropped in here again and getting the latest uh, equipment, uh, films and techniques and one thing or another, you know, they were kind of in the doldrums for about five or ten years. But nothing happening. And Star Wars came along and woke everybody up. But, and it really did wake everybody up. Yes, yes. I mean, it, the, the impact it had on the film industry and just on um, the American public and the worldwide public was overwhelming. It was. And uh, Alan, Alan and I was very pleased to be able to say that he'd uh, accepted George's um, agreement or whatever it was. And uh, it saved 20th Century Fox at the time. Yes. And since then, probably, I don't know. I don't know what, what they are doing at 20th Century Fox exactly at this time. But, I mean, I should think it's uh, not about the... Uh, they were in the red, I think, at the time, and not looking too good. But Star Wars come, uh, came along, and the whole industry came alive. But there's not so much in England as there used to be. It, it, it's smaller films, and not, not very big... Um, not very many of these big... With lots of extras, uh, as they used to be. That's why they're too expensive. You know, with lots and lots of extras, but probably a lot more expensive. So, um, just any final thoughts on the 30th anniversary of Star Wars? Well, I'm surprised I've just said it. You know, surprised it lasted so long. Let's hope it'll go on for a few more years yet. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time. Okay. Thank you. Well, I should say, a few more years. Uh, that was back in 2007. We're almost 10 years uh, away from that, and we've got several more films on the horizon. I mean, it's just, uh, it's endless. And for, Kenny gave it a, uh, a five-year run after. It might carry on for another five years or so. Five more years. 2007. <laughs> uh, you know, it was a good guess. It was a good guess, but I think... Uh, uh, but, you know, I mean, these guys, they, I think the one thing about them is that uh, the, the legacy of Star Wars and its ability to just uh, go from generation to generation continues to surprise them. You know, and I think that's just um, yes. uh, it, it's sort of part and parcel to the the you know, the, the closeness that they have to it and the fact that there's a part of it and have been a part of it, they're going to see it differently and view it differently than we on the outside do. It's very much like the sort of attitude you get from the guys in that film that came out over the summer, Elstree 76, when they talk about how it was just a job, they did it and they came and went. Now, for Kenny, obviously, it's a little bit more than that because he kept bringing the character back to life in so many different ways and different films. But, um, he does echo that that sentiment that is picked up in Elstree 1976. You know, they they were all kind of in the same boat together, and then when this thing hit, it was just like holy cow. And then years later, when the convention thing started happening and all the nostalgia for Star Wars, it just caught all these guys off guard totally. You know, it took a long time for some of them to even catch up with it. Yeah, Kenny was there. You know, they Kenny, you know, being R two D two, obviously super desi- desirable to have out there. You know, being interviewed, making convention appearances and whatnot. It's a no brainer. So he was there from the very beginning, like you said, Jason. Those old men behind the masks shows and everything were fantastic. JC, did you ever go to any of those, like at Wizard World or anything like that, when you were growing up in the Chicago area? 
I, you know, I went to Wizard World uh, once out by O'Hare there in Rosemont, yep. and it was the first convention I'd ever been to, and I was so overwhelmed. I just like walked the floor the whole time. I didn't even know that in the next room, you know, Kenny Baker and Biggs Darklighter and uh, all those guys were sitting there waiting to chat with me. Um, <laughs> I probably would have blown my mind. For sure. Um, you know, his comments reminded me and what you guys were talking about, uh, just to echo, like these guys didn't know is something George Lucas said when he was on, when he did the uh, new Oprah Winfrey show on her own network, yeah. when she went and interviewed him at Skywalker Ranch, is he said, I never had a Star Wars, mm. you know, and it's kind of like when Kenny goes, ah, maybe this will go on another five years. Kenny doesn't see, I mean, Kenny sees the inside of R2-D2, I imagine, when he's watching Star Wars. Where we see a robot, we see a character. He sees like, you know, I, I lost twenty pounds in that sweating out there in the desert. <laughs> or how many times did they knock me over a tree on Endor? You know, um, right. right? You know, let's not forget that uh, he was almost wicked, uh, and so Warwick Davis kind of owes his career a little bit to. Kenny Baker, he was supposed to be wicked. He uh, was ill that morning, or maybe had too good of a time the night before. I don't know, depending <laughs> on which which story you believe. And uh, so they, they had some early morning shoots, and uh, they chose Warwick for the part. And, of course, the rest is history. Uh, but Kenny did end up playing at least one Ewok, I know. He Jimmy played Pop Lou. He played Pop Lou. Pop Lou. Yeah. As, yeah. The Ewok so. on the, uh, who stole the speeder bike. And what's really funny about that? Is uh, Kenny? He did his own stunts for that sequence. So when the speeder bike is flying along so fast that Pop Lou is being actually he, he's kind of up in the air, flying along, holding onto the handlebars. The way they shot that was they mounted the speeder bike up on a wall and had Kenny jump up and grab the handlebars and hang on for his life. <laughs> And they just shot it that way, and then they turned the frame on the side to make it look like it was flying through the, the forest. So Kenny Baker doing his own stunts as Pop Lou. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that's just a cool moment. And then the other thing is, is and, and everyone talks about this, and Kenny himself talked to me about this at that, that small convention I was at in the mid-200s. Or 2000s, whatever year it is. I don't even know. The mid-2000s. Um, Kenny, Kenny spoke to me about the, the friction between Anthony Daniels and himself. Mm -hmm. And, and there, there were a couple opportunities where I think I, I, I could have brought that up to Anthony. And, and maybe I chickened out a little bit. But there was this great TV show in uh, the in um, England called Bring Back, and it was hosted by this guy Justin Lee Collins. This guy love that show. He's hilarious. And so, what this yeah. show was about is this TV series where Justin would go out and he try to locate these performers from bands and television shows, movies, what have you, and then he would reunite them with their fellow cast members from you know shows long gone, like uh, A Team. For example, you know, he invaded Hollywood and was, you know, stalking people like uh, Dirk Benedict and so on. <laughs> but he did bring back Star Wars, and it was hilarious. It was such a great show. If you can catch it, I don't know if it's on YouTube or where it is. but Yeah, you can definitely find it on YouTube. It's yeah. so, so funny. And Justin, unlike myself, had the uh, cojones to ask Anthony Daniels 
about Kenny Baker because he wanted to get to the bottom of this. Justin was hearing the same thing we were hearing, that there was friction between the two of them. And we didn't know why. You know, I even heard this from Peter Mayhew that, uh, you know, that who is it that said to me, maybe it was Dave Prouse who said, you know, those two, they could have gotten together and gone on tour. And, oh, and they made, could have done Vegas shows. They could have just oh, made yeah. bank. The R2-D2 and C-3PO live in person, but they just couldn't get it together because of some ego problems. So, uh, Justin asks, uh, first we'll hear what Anthony had to say about Kenny, and then we'll hear what Kenny has to say about Anthony. But first, Justin Lee Collins with Anthony Daniels on Kenny Baker. I heard that out of character, you and Kenny absolutely cannot bear each other. We have absolutely no relationship. We have nothing in common. Where I think we're really quite different people. You would never hang out, talk about how difficult it was to be in costume all day long. No. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> nope. But how Interview you... over. Nope. But it's a personal you know, that, thing. It is heartbreaking. You know, when you hear about these uh, feuds that happen between actors who play roles that are so... Uh, close, you know, um, whether it be uh, what, what the, some of the more famous ones, I guess, would be um, Laverne and Shirley, Martin um, and Lewis. Yeah, right. Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis, not fans. Uh, 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 of course, uh, 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 Lucille Ball and uh, and Desi Arnaz uh, fighting Van- a lot. They were married and divorced. Eddie Van Halen and David Lee Roth. Sure. Uh, oh, and uh, 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 Bruce Willis and uh, what's your name? Demi Kevin Moore. Smith. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> kind of like each other. Well, Bruce Willis and Kevin Smith. Uh, no, <laughs> I was thinking about uh, oh, from Moonlighting. What's her Sibyl, name? Sybil Shepherd. Sybil Shepherd. Right. 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 But I mean, you know, there are, there are people that you know that that uh, gosh, you just you so badly want them to be friends. Uh, or married, or whatever the case may be, because that's what they play on TV or in in the in the movies. And so it was a little sad to find out that there was some uh, maybe some bad blood there. But Jim, that we only heard one half of the story. We got the other half here. Yeah, you know, uh, uh, he did. He he tracked down Kenny Baker and to, to sort of get to the bottom of this and get Kenny's side of the story. Because Anthony, you know, I don't know where he comes off saying we have nothing in common. Baloney, you guys shared the screen on on three movies together. Four, actually, if you want to count Phantom Menace, which is questionable as how much Kenny Baker was actually in that film. And same thing with Anthony Daniels, really, if you want to get to the... Well, wait a minute. Okay. That's a, you bring up a good point. Now, Kenny has been credited on all of them, hasn't he? Yes. I, I don't think he was for The Force Awakens. I think he was maybe an R2 consultant. Is that right, JC? Do you know if that's how he was uh, described in the credits? I don't think I saw. I don't remember seeing Kenny on Force Awakens. Yeah, he must have been like R two consultant or something like it, that. It was though. something like that. They they did not actually when they they made the announcement. Remember that famous uh, photo of the cast, that black and white photo of them sitting mm-hmm. in a circle there on the sound stage, and it it did part of that announcement did say Kenny Baker was returning as R two. So I think there was actually an effort being made to put him in that can and have him shake it up, but. Maybe you know I'm looking. I'm looking right now, Jim, at the official um, credits for the Force Awakens. Yeah. There's no credit for R two D two. There was no, 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 no. There is credit. Oh, no? for R two, no. but but Kenny, for R two, I'm saying for R two, Kenny gets for, a credit though. Kenny does not get a credit. Oh, the he only does. credit is and it is uncredited was for Tony Dyson, who was an R two D two designer. 
Um, you know, rest- when I saw when I saw the Force Awakens in the theater, I saw I saw Kenny Baker get a credit. Let well, me see I, here. I thought so too. I thought he was on the movie poster. Uh, Anthony <laughs> Anthony Daniels was in the movie poster, but you know, I mean, Archie didn't have a big part in this thing. Of course, neither did Mark Hamill, and he got uh, second. Oh, well, well, yeah, yeah second. I mean, yeah. Mark Hamill, right? You know, but I, I'm looking at Kenny's IMDb, and I don't see any credit that. for The Force Awakens here. But I know I saw because you know what? It was right next to Artie Shaw's credit. You know, Artie Shaw, who was the stand-in for Maz Kanata. Oh, right, right. Kenny Baker's credit was right next to hers. Boy, I, I'm looking uh, and I'm not seeing anything, but you, you might be right. You might be right. Maybe it was. Kenny did get some sort of credit on The, the Force Awakens, but, uh, yeah, having trouble pulling it up here online. So maybe uh, while we're listening to uh, what Kenny told Justin about Anthony, uh, maybe I'll be able to dig up this information. All right. You don't get on with him at all, do you? Why is that? He was just horrendous. I say, hello, Tony, how are you? I'm having a conversation. And walk away from me. So I wiped my, I wiped my hands on. I couldn't get less, you know. He never bought me a drink, never bought me a cup of tea. Never said, hello, how are you? Uh, now, sorry to hear about your wife. When my wife died. I didn't, no arguments at all. He just won't talk to me. Wow. Harsh. And it sounds like there never was, you know, it's one thing to say, you know, to hear, oh, we were good chums and then uh, we had a little falling out, you know, or we worked together so much and we just kind of grew apart like, uh, you know, Martin Lewis. But it, it sounds to me like there was really never any connection at all. No. It seems like Anthony might have been taking his high horse a little bit and he was treating Kenny like a member of the crew and not right. as a fellow actor. And exactly. knowing Anthony, man, I could see that. I could see that. <laughs> I really could. And, I mean, that's not a knock on him. I mean, you know, how he handles himself. He's a big boy. He can do what he wants. I'm not telling him how to act. But I just think that, yeah, there was a lost opportunity there. They could have done some great things together if they were actually able to sync up with each other. But it just seems like Anthony Daniels didn't want to have anything to do with Kenny. Yeah, it sounds like it. Sort sounds of sucks. Like sort of sucks. But that didn't stop Kenny Baker from getting his Star Wars and pop culture moment. There was this, tel- <laughs> this television show. Uh, it ran on uh, USA Network for eight seasons. It was called Psych. It was a detective comedy drama. All those things in the, the all those boxes were checked. Detective, yes. Comedy, yes. Drama, all of the above. It was a TV series that ran uh, from 2006 to 2014 on USA Network, and Psych had a Kenny Baker reference on one of their episodes. I know she was here. She was standing right here. I can see it, plain as day, right next to the man who some believe to be her kidnapper. How sure are you? As sure as I am that the guy who just friended Gus online is not the guy who played R2-D2. His name is Kenny Baker. Fine. Why would Kenny Baker want to be friends with you? Why would Elvira want to be friends with you? Her name is Cassandra Peterson. I don't think Kenny ever had a Twitter account or anything like that. Well, whether he got a credit in Force Awakens or not, I'm hoping to see that we'll get a little dedication maybe in the the end of Episode 8 or maybe at Row 1. Academy but, Awards next year, right? Yeah, gotta- yeah, I hope they don't do an Abe Vigoda on him. 
Oh, yeah. And they, forget, they, they totally missed Abe. They did. They did miss Abe Vigoda when they do that final in memoriam thing during the, uh, the Oscars. Yeah. Well, anyway, he's not forgotten here. Kenny Baker, rest in peace. All right, before we wrap up, uh, JC, you are still with us? Are we good? I'm good. good. Maybe about another 10 minutes. Another 10 minutes. All right. Well, stick around. We're going to give away some little Debbies. All right. All right. And then we're going to get into that Rogue One International trailer, JC. So you definitely want to stick around for that. Each and every week, I think Rebel Force Radio listeners like to stick around to hear who won the Galactic Snack Pack that week from Little Debbie. Rebel Force Radio is the only place in the galaxy you can get a Galactic Snack Pack. We uh, search it random. We could go anywhere on the internet. We go to Facebook. We go to Twitter. We're looking for you guys to be talking about Little Debbie and Rebel Force Radio. This time, of all places, we're going to YouTube for Mike LaJoy's video. He uh, put up this incredible video on uh, YouTube here. I need to to punch it up here real quick um, just so I can describe it to you in all of its awesome glory here. It's uh, the uh, Star Wars Lego The Force Awakens Little Debbie Disco. It's a video (laughs) by Mike LaJoy. All you have to do is search for that. Uh, Probably just Little Debbie Disco will take you where you need to go. But... um, Mike says, this is what happens when you find Little Debbie at the store, made for Rebel Force Radio. And what it is, is a clip of all of these Lego characters. I I presume this is from the new Lego, The Force Awakens video game. They're dancing around in the Millennium Falcon to this crazy tune, and there's a box of Little Debbie cosmic brownies strategically placed right in front of the TV. And then Mike shot this and made an awesome video, and... This is what happens when you find Little Debbie at the store. Star Wars characters dancing like crazy in the Millennium Falcon. So, good job, Mike LaJoy. I really appreciate the creativity and the effort. So, you, sir, are going to get this week's Little Debbie Galactic Snack Pack. It's going to come right to your house. All you have to do is send us an email. Show at rebelforceradio.com with your shipping address. And Little Debbie will drop off that Galactic Snack Pack to your home personally. Yes! That's awesome. So, congratulations, Mike. And thank you, Little Debbie for doing what you do for Rebel Force Radio and Star Wars fans each and every week here on Rebel Force Radio. We do it all the time because Little Debbie, of course, is the official snack of fans across the galaxy. I have good news for you, my lord. That's good news. Come closer, I have good news. All right, not unlike uh, The Force Awakens before it... When that, uh, I think it was the third trailer dropped for uh, TFA, we got a, uh, just a couple days later, we ended up with a, the international trailer, and uh, following suit here, we've got the Rogue One international trailer uh, right on the heels of, the, uh, of that trailer that debuted during the Olympics coverage. Right. I think a lot more people are watching the Olympics now, with that whole thing with the swimmers. Oh, that's weird. Uh, yeah, how would you like to be... Uh, competing now when everybody's tuning in to hear the latest gossip about these guys i'll tell you what's going on in rio it's so strange rio olympics have been the weirdest olympics of all time (laughs) but it did bring us a new star wars trailer (laughs) all's forgiven we got we got that going for us which is pretty good yeah (laughs) (laughs) so the international trailer hits and um we, we, we looks like we're kind of seeing 
um, some expansion on what we've already seen. So a little bit more dialogue, some dialogue kind of in and around the scenes that we've uh, that are already, I think, familiar to us. Um, and uh, the probably the biggest thing uh, we got the clip right here. This is uh, Cassian Andor as he's sort of uh, confirming what is really not a greatly uh, kept secret about Rogue One and the relationships uh, between a couple of the characters. So here's a clip from the uh, international trailer. We have intercepted a coded Imperial transmission. It indicates that a major weapons test is imminent. The message was sent by your father. As they're showing uh, Jyn Erso. Now, uh, I believe it was Mads Mikkelsen himself who plays Galen uh, Erso that was the first to sort of uh, let the cat out of the bag that he was the father of the lead character, a Jin or so. I got that right? I think it was. Yeah, Mads on a, yeah, yeah. on a radio show or on a TV show. He was on a TV show, and it didn't even sound like he even really cared that he was trapping <laughs> in <there. laughs> Right. Uh, so this trailer, uh, guys, and we're not going to do a shot by shot because it, it is very similar to what we saw before. Um, again, maybe a little bit more before and or after uh, the clips that we've seen before. We see a little bit more Mon Mothma. Uh, she's got some more dialogue there. And, of course, that what we just heard was the confirmation that uh, uh, Galen Urso is the father of Jin Urso. And uh, so we can speculate as to what that means for the plot. Uh, JC, what's your take? You, we actually haven't spoken to you since uh, footage from... Rogue One started to appear. What are your feelings as a as a filmmaker, you know, as a director and producer? What are you thinking about what you're seeing so far and how it fits into uh, the Star Wars film series? I, you know what I'll tell you. Uh, it, the number one thing that stuck out to me it was actually uh, the color palette of this movie. To me, feels more like the previous six Star Wars films than Force Awakens. I felt, mm -hmm. I know they talked about shooting Force Awakens on film and it was a big media hype that they were shooting it on a film camera. But to, and I'm pretty sure Rogue One was shot digitally. But what, uh, it, it was almost like everything in Force Awakens was hyper-saturated, which is kind of like the look of movies now. This movie to me looks like a new hope. The blues of the sky look, they're not like overly blue. It just, it feels to me more like the first six Star Wars than uh, TFA does, just in terms of the, the color palette. And that got me really excited more than anything when I watched it. Um, I really love the uh, kind of, uh, the the uh, ensemble aspect mm. of this. Yeah. I love yeah. in this trailer, which I don't think it was, I, I think they added to it where you get a little bit more of Diego Luna at the end mm -hmm. there with the, the group of guys. And he's like, we're with you like that to me really like, you know, gives me goosebumps. I think that's really neat. And it's something that we haven't seen before in star Wars. We've seen a movie that takes, you know, a, a main character like Luke Skywalker or Ray and sends them on an adventure. But I'm really excited to see if they 
can make this more of an ensemble piece. And yeah, it's a crew. We got a crew, you know. Um, and I, that's funny that you say that because I felt that way too. And I don't know why this, for whatever reason, this trailer uh, drove home the point of it being more about this crew, this ragtag group of rebels, uh, this ensemble, as you mentioned, uh, you know, going up against these big odds. This trailer kind of cemented that for me. And now I'm, you know, Star Wars, y- you start to look for, okay, well, who's the big hero in this one? So in the original trilogy, it was Luke. In the prequel trilogy, it was Anakin. And then in this new sequel trilogy, uh, you know, it's Rey. Uh, but this film operates a little bit differently. I mean, sure, you've got Jen. She's you know the, the, the lead, you might say. But we may find out uh, when we watch this movie that it is very much an ensemble piece, which is new for Star Wars. Yeah, and, you know, the other thing that, uh, that stuck out with this for me is, uh, you know, they talk about George Lucas always doing world building, right? And it was it was he he built these worlds. And to me, the kind of like Jedi planet that you see in this, again, feels like world building where I felt like a lot of the stuff we saw in TFA was stuff we'd seen before. And this to me looks new, even though, of course, it's the Death Star and we've seen that before. And we're going to see Yavin 4, which we've seen before. The other planets in this look new to me. They look like new worlds. Uh, like like uh, places I haven't been before. Um, mm-hmm. And that got me really excited, too, you know, um, just to, to and these things got me more excited than Darth Vader did, because to me, it, it's it's almost like the hidden Star Wars ness of it. You know, the 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 stuff that's like almost in your subconscious of like making something feel like episode four. I think they've done it a really good job. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, as far as making that, uh, you know, connective tissue uh, match what we feel, see here in episode four, I think that it's it's definitely on its way. Um, Something we didn't talk a whole lot about last week. uh, We mentioned a few uh, tidbits from it, but there was um, Anthony Bresnikan's piece about Jetta and that world. We, We did mention about the Kyber crystals. And that was confirmed by the actor who plays uh, Chirrut Imwe, uh, Donnie Yen. He was the one that confirmed that the kyber crystals are the the natural resource there on Jeddah, which, of course, brings uh, not just uh, the Empire to the planet, but also brings those who are interested in... uh, the force, the the people that have a, a connection to the force, um, they're calling this, or, or rather, or director Gareth Edwards is saying that this is a this is a place of worship. Um, quote: He says there's something very important in Jedi that serves both the Jedi and the Empire. Um, and w- another thing that I was kind of stricken by, uh, or struck by in this in this article, is that Gareth actually misquotes and I'm not I'm not picking on him I mean we all gosh you know we all well do it but he misquotes Obi-Wan Kenobi as saying that he's the one that called it an ancient religion and I bring it up guys because obviously Jeddah makes a is has a huge role in this film and the fact that it is sort of a a a hot spot for those that are 
um, I don't want to say force sensitive, just they believe in the Jedi. They believe in the force. There's, there's some connection that they have to it. But when he talked about Obi-Wan calling it a religion, I had to scratch my head. I was like, Obi-Wan, I'm trying to remember. Obi-Wan, he doesn't. He said, no, it's an energy field that connects us, binds us, blah, blah, blah. And then I realized that the only two people who, who ever, or actually three, that ever call it a religion or refer to it as a religion are Admiral Mahdi, Grand Moff Tarkin, and Han Solo. Solo, yeah. Mm -hmm. None of them, none of them uh, being Jedi or Force-sensitives. You never hear the word religion in the prequel trilogy. They don't refer to it as that. Um, so it, it's just, it's very interesting to me how it's going in this direction. And uh, by the way, not just those characters, but only in the first film in 1977, Star Wars A New Hope, do you hear it being referred to as a religion. It's almost like they, I don't know if George backed away from that uh, or what, but it seems like it's back. The concept of the Force as a religion is back and in a big way with this movie. Hmm. You know, I hate to say this, but uh, Gareth, he loses some cred with me by screwing up that Obi-Wan line. <laughs> Obi-Wan never said it's an ancient religion. Maybe he's just saying that Obi-Wan was kind of representing that or, uh, you know. No, no, he I'm, says if it's an ancient, if it's really an ancient, this is a quote, if it's a really ancient religion, as Obi-Wan Kenobi said, it's got to exist in thousands or millions of people in the galaxy. wonder why Bresnikin didn't call him out on that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, man. no, the man. Other thing guys, he I never said to, that. I, oh, go ahead, Jim. I'm <laughs> can, sorry. Can you see Anthony interrupting him? Oh, no, no. He yeah. never said that. That wasn't. No, no, no. He didn't say that. <laughs> well, you know, you and I have been in that position a couple of times. You know, we're talking to somebody and they, they, they misspeak. Um, but in all three instances, uh, fellas, where the, the force is referred to as a religion, it's done with a certain amount of disdain. Yes. Or, or a mm -hmm. way to discredit it. Right. Uh, Han, you know, hokey religions and ancient nonsense. Uh, you, my friend, are all that's left of their religion. And, you know, uh, that ancient religion uh, hasn't helped you conjure up the stolen data tapes, blah, blah, blah. So it's actually used in context as sort of a, an insult. Yes, a by, by a skeptic, you know, somebody yes. somebody who's going to say, well, you know, look at look at our real world religions. OK, you can't see it. You can't hold it. But it, it, it strikes people on a, a level of faith. And if you don't have faith, it's easy to just say, oh, well, that's just another religion. You know, it's it, it doesn't there, there's no reality to it on our on our plane of existence. And, uh, you know, a lot of people are like, if they don't see it, they don't believe it. And so that's, I think, why some people like the examples you brought up, guys like Mahdi, would, would scoff at it and call mm -hmm. it a religion because it's not a reality to a guy like Mahdi. Right. So, it's, so true. It's, so it's true. myth. It's right? myth, right. And it's, it's only real if, if you have the faith. 
And obviously, Tarkin, Mahdi, Han, they didn't have the faith. Now, we see Han go through all the, uh, all the evolution of his character, and then by the time of The Force Awakens, he's like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, it's real. But, uh, you know, back then, he was, he was a, just another skeptic, calling it, scoffing at it, calling it a simple religion. And it, it's, it's more than, than that, you know. It's a reality to the characters in the film. When I was reading this, I, I, I then flashed to Han in The Force Awakens, and now all of a sudden, when you hear Ray talk about, um, and maybe it's just me, guys, maybe it's just clicking for me finally, but there was something a little hollow in the dialogue of Force Awakens for me when Ray says, Luke Skywalker, I thought he was a myth. Now all of a sudden, as I'm, I'm thinking more about it, and I'm seeing Rogue One, I'm seeing this planet of Jeddah, and, and really kind of expanding my mind to what we associate with religions and myths and legends and stories and all of this. And the fact that even though we, as, as fans living with these characters for so many years and experiencing their adventures, of course the, the story of Luke Skywalker must be well known, but the fact is it isn't. And the fact that Palpatine was a Sith Lord isn't, I think that most people felt that he was just a corrupt politician that eventually got his in the end and the reality of what happened on that second death star no one really knows and i am sure there are probably people listening going oh of course of course jason but maybe i'm a little late to this party but it's all starting to finally connect for me i love it um hey guys i gotta bounce all right well jc reifenberg it's great to have you uh thanks for having me on great to talk star wars again Come back when you can uh, spend more time. Uh, but before you uh, head out, where can folks uh, keep up with you and all of your uh, adventures? Oh, you know, Twitter. Uh, Twitter's probably the best. I've been pretty quiet lately. But uh, hit me up on Twitter if you got a question or uh, you want to join me in making a, a Little Debbie Cosmic Cupcake fan film. And, uh, <laughs> and I, I will we'll do everything we can to make that happen. Awesome. All right, man. Well, thanks for taking time out to be with us tonight. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Later. All right. Bye-bye. Always a fun time to have uh, JC uh, chatting with us. And uh, uh, offline, JC was talking about uh, working on uh, a new set for Kevin Smith's Fat Man on Batman podcast. So he's going to be doing that for YouTube. And uh, JC's putting that set together. Uh, That must be a tough job. Oh, well, that's what he does. That's what JC does. It's work. Yeah. If you're really doing it for us on the outside, it's like that doesn't sound like work, but I can imagine <laughs> I, 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 be, I have a feeling I bet Kevin Smith's a great guy to work for, but I'll bet he's tough to please. You're probably right about that. Yeah. You know, um, oftentimes those guys who have that public persona as being everyone's best buddy. They can sometimes be a little hard on the people who actually are on their payroll, but I've never heard any reports like that from JC. He's been with Kevin Smith for a long time now, and uh, he certainly is has been enjoying that that working relationship with Kevin for in a, so I think they're going to continue to work together so speaking of Kevin Smith I don't know if this is started making the rounds but uh, Kevin's uh, daughter Harley Quinn Smith uh was in a in a in a little film and uh you know the some of the bullying and the hazing and the crap that goes on social media you know it's not just you know uh for people like us it's also for people and probably more so in the public eye and um, there was there was somebody that was really going after Kevin's daughter, and he just had a great response to it. And if you, I'm not going to go and quote the whole thing, but but 
go look it up about how Kevin Smith responded to the troll that was uh, bullying his daughter online. And uh, it's just I think it really speaks to what's going on inside his heart and his soul. And thought it was very well done. So got yeah. a lot of respect for that guy. That movie was Yoga Hosers that JC had brought up before. And uh, ah. Smith's daughter is in it, along with Johnny Depp's daughter. And uh, I guess they're buddies, high school buddies or something. And, and they, they both appeared together in one scene in Kevin Smith's movie, Tusk. And so then they got spun off into their own film. And that's Yoga Hosers. And J.C. worked on that film. He had, oh. uh, he, I, I don't know exactly what his position was, but he's, uh, he's definitely been moving up the ranks there in uh, Kevin Smith's uh, view of Skewerverse and uh, doing a lot of cool stuff with Kevin. So... Definitely best of luck to JC for sure. Yeah. Now back to this Rogue One thing, Jim. This this yeah. uh, this Entertainment Weekly story uh, from Anthony Bresnikin. Uh, there's another quote in here from Gareth Edwards, and I wanted to run this by you. It might be very obvious, but he says, uh, within Jeddah, even though there's the oppressive foot of the Empire hanging over them, there's a resistance that won't give up, and our characters have to go and meet people there, which we speculated. That's that's you know gathering this ragtag team to do this crazy mission mission uh, to try and secure a person from this group now should is should we assume that that's galen urso here is this is is this someone that they're trying to rescue to free to find would he be on jetta or is there you know someone else that they're uh that they're trying to secure well we know that bays and Shirit, they're on Jeddah. Right. And I believe Bodhi is too. You know what? It's probably Bodhi. Bodhi is defecting, and that's where they meet up with him. Could be Bodhi. Could be Bodhi. There's actually also a, uh, a great profile, again, by Anthony and his um, cre- uh, coverage of, of Rogue One uh, that, that dropped uh, over the last couple of weeks. He has a great profile on the character of Bodhi Rook. And in particular, you know, Jim, when the, when the photos first started hitting of these characters, uh, one of the first things that people started to notice and you noticed, I noticed was that Bodhi Rook, uh, has a Imperial cog on his uh, shoulder. And there was a lot of speculation, uh, about, does this mean that he's a traitor? Uh, I think there was talk about someone being a traitor. If I remember right at one point, uh, someone betraying the team, and I, I remember you saying something like, "Well, of course it's going to be this guy. He's wearing an imperial <laughs> cog on his uh, <laughs> on his shoulder." Um, but actually, uh, the actor uh, who plays him, uh, Riz Ahmed, mentions why he thinks that is for the character and why he still uh, has that. Now he is uh, confirmed as being an inhabitant inhabitant of the uh, occupied territory there on Jeddah, and that he was conscripted to serve as a pilot for the Empire, but he defects, as you say, to join the growing rebellion. We also hear Cassian Andor talking about how he's been recruiting for the rebellion for some time, so he knows what he's looking for. When they asked about that Imperial uh, patch, that he, you know, it'd be very easy for him to take it off, why does he still walk around with it? Um, he says it might seem like an easy thing to rip off, but the mark goes deeper than what adorns Bodhi's flight gear. The character is not hiding where he came from, 
So the mark, I think, it's remind you of where you're coming from, remind you of where your debts are. Uh, know what I mean? For me personally, every day looking at that, it reminds you of what you've done. Uh, so for him, for this character, Jim, it sounds like it's a symbol of where he's come from, the journey he's had, and maybe a reminder of why he's made the decisions that he's made, in particular uh, to defect. Well, that's all fine and good, but I personally think for Bodie's own safety, he should take that patch, tear it off of that shirt, and leave it on his nightstand at home. Because if he's running with all these rebels, he's going to run across a rebel who does it, who will misinterpret that, that, that insignia on his shoulder and put a blaster bolt right through his chest. So, uh, Bodie Rook, shelf life limited. <laughs> All right. Well, well, could it work the other way though? Could that patch give him uh, the credibility and the cover that he needs in Imperial territory? Well, yes, of course, of course, yeah. of course. Right. But you know, just don't go knocking on Baze's door or that guy dead. <laughs> uh, another thing that they point out, and I, I've never really thought about this. You know, we've seen, of course, that logo uh, for the Empire, that cog we call it, and. Uh, um, it's brought out in this story, and I don't know if this is Anthony talking. It's not a quote. So uh, talking about it being a sprocket gear and how it's symbolic. And uh, in the case of Bodhi, he's just a, a cog in the imperial machine. And that's kind of an interesting take uh, spin on that on that logo. He refers to himself as just a mere truck driver in space. Yeah, right, right, right. Which He's so, not like Han, who has his sweet ride, right? Right. So maybe he has a ride like what Han has in The Force Awakens. And maybe he's hauling some very important Imperial gear, like weaponry, and that's when he decides to defect. When he has this haul of all this great stuff he can give to the Rebellion. So that's probably when he comes across guys like Cassian and everything, and they work out a deal. Now, I'm just speculating, guys. You know, I, I don't know anything. And I, I like that. So, I mean, the, the conventional wisdom would be that they're there to, to find Galen, Mads Mikkelsen's character. That's why they enlist Jin, because uh, it's, it's his daughter. Could maybe use her as leverage. She'd be the one that would lure him out. But then again, if he's the one warning, if he's the one that's sending messages to the Rebellion about this super weapon, that whole you know Oppenheimer uh, correlation that they make, uh, the reluctant genius that comes up with this super weapon, um, you know, then why is you know is it is it are they really there to to capture him or to take him or as you point out, could it be that they're there to to uh, get Bodhi Rook? I kind of like that. Uh, before we leave the topic of Rogue One, just a, a small point which dovetails into our next story, which is well, some hey, speculation about... Let's, before we start dovetailing, okay? Uh-huh. Because uh-huh, uh, uh-huh. I'm, I'm not ready to leave this yet because I want to talk okay. a little bit of, about both the trailer and some, oh. some behind-the-scenes information I got about the reshoots. Well, talk to me about the trailer because I, uh, I, I, I liked it. I liked the extra stuff that w- you know we heard. But it, to me, it didn't. It wasn't all that different. I hear a lot of people say, "Oh, so much more dialogue and so much more um, shots." I, to me, it felt very much the same. Oh, the the differences were subtle at the very best. The the, yeah. the biggest change being that line from from Cassian saying that you know, confirming that it was Jin's father 
who was sending the uh, who was feeding information to the rebels. So we get an idea of who her father is, you know, beyond slips by Mads Mikkelsen on uh, you know <laughs> European television shows. Hey, I'll tell you what, this Rogue One crew, you know, for a bunch of covert ops, they got some loose lips between <laughs> Bays. And uh, he died, and <laughs> they all did. <laughs> but um, something I did notice a big difference between the Olympic trailer that we saw on NBC and the international trailer was on that pilot's head. The blood that we noted had been removed since we saw it on the sizzle reel, it was not present in that trailer that aired on NBC. But here on the international trailer, it returns. The blood is back. The blood is back. So the plot thickens. Um, so we have to reevaluate some of the things that we were uh, coming up with during our analysis last week. Because I had assumed that that blood was removed as part of the overall restructuring of certain elements of Rogue One. Sure. In other words, what we've said before, a desire to maybe soften up the harshness, the grittiness. Uh, we, we've never denied the fact that this is going to be a war film. Of course, Star Wars speaks for itself. We know it's going to be a war film. We've never denied that. But, but how far can the violence be pushed in a Star Wars film? How far can gore and blood and things of that nature? I mean, it's just something we've been talking about. And... I noticed that the blood was removed, so I thought they were doing that as a way to kind of tone down maybe some of the more graphic violence or results of violence in Rogue One. But, but with the blood returning in the international trailer, that, that raised some eyebrows. And Savannah said something to the effect last week that in trailers, they change the color of blood to sometimes brown. Or black, and I, I was like, well, that that was interesting, but we we didn't really let her expand on that too much. Um, after the show was released last week, and especially after I saw this international trailer, uh, I started uh, looking at our email from people who were explaining the same thing Savannah was saying, and so I decided to research it. And sure enough, that is a provision with American movie trailers um, that are shown. In theaters, screening PG-13, PG-rated films, what have you. Um, It's the MPAA. They have rules regarding U.S. movie trailers. And one of those rules are you cannot show blood. So blood is often colored black. And this is to gain approval to get that trailer that can be aired for uh, general audiences. Uh, Mm -hmm. trailers, Trailers that do not do this... And they do include things like foul language, violence, sex, objectionable imagery, and blood will be um, approved to only be shown during R-rated movies, during the previews for R-rated movies or unrated movies. So I think... So not something you'd see for network TV. Not something... So even... So if if you want to screen this trailer for a PG or PG-13 film... You have to change the color of the blood. But if you're going to show it for a network audience watching the Olympics, then you just remove the blood altogether. Hmm. So uh, we were, you know, we were flawed by thinking 
that the removal of the blood is an indication that the film is being toned down and blood is being removed in an effort to tone it down. I think it was done specifically for advertising purposes. Nothing more. Because we see it again in that international trailer. I mean, I think, I think we're going to see it in the final film, too. So I've reevaluated that whole thing. Now, on the subject of reshoots, though, I have gotten some new information this week, which is kind of startling to me. Um, how much is being recrafted after the fact? Now, yes, of course, we know that a lot of films go through reshoots. We know the prequels did. We know that TFA had reshoots. We, we know that that's a natural process of filmmaking. But when, you, when I start hearing things that anywhere from 45 to 50 minutes of this film was reshot, that's a little more than your simple reshoots. That indicates a full restructuring of the film. And that's what I heard, that anywhere from 45 to 50 minutes of this film was reshot over the summer. And the reshots ran long, longer than expected. So they were supposed to be finished by Star Wars Celebration Europe. Um, and uh, actually the reshoots ended up running a couple weeks longer than that. Oh. So, um, and, and again, uh, nowhere am I saying I'm, raising, I'm waving the red flag. I'm, I'm saying that this is going to be a bad film. I'm just stating facts that I'm hearing. I don't care what they do. I don't care if they're shooting the film you know, till the day it's released. I really don't. All I care about is what they put out there. I don't care about all the drama. Again, I point to Titanic as a classic example of a film that went through a ton of reshoots. There was so much talk going on, and this is prior to social media. My God, if, if Titanic was being produced when social media was alive, it would have been devastated. Before It would have been Suicide Squad. But um, it really would have been because that's what people fail to understand. That Titanic, the, the second highest grossing film of all time, it, it, at the time it was released, it was the number one all-time grossing film. That thing went through tons of reshoots. It was being restructured down to the last minute by James Cameron and his crew. And so, it's it, it. And look at the success of that film. You cannot deny it. And I saw Titanic, and I liked it. So, um, and a lot of people did. So yeah. And at that time, I think it was the the most expensive movie that had ever been made. Yes. And prior to that, it was Terminator Two, another James Cameron film that was. Uh, it was getting quite the, um, you know, the, the, the hand wringing going on about T2 and T2, you know, ended up being probably the hallmark of that franchise. Absolutely. When we, when we watched that T2, we saw that, we said, Oh, the technology's there now for Lucas. He has to start making the prequels now. You know? <laughs> right. Exactly. It's ripe. You know, it's ripe for that. It's there. It's gotta be, you know, we, we were still a, a couple years away. It yeah. wasn't until Jurassic Park that really, you know, the light bulb went off over George's head and said, you know, unleash the hounds. But um, but so the, the reshoots, you know, like I said, I don't care what they do until the film's released. All that matters is what they put out there. Really, guys, that's all that matters. So I'm not gnashing my teeth. I'm not stressed out about this film. What I've seen so far looks amazing. I'm really looking forward to Rogue One. But you cannot deny the fact there is extensive surgery being done to this film. And it's not being done by Gareth Edwards. I'll tell you right that right now. Out of respect to Gareth Edwards, he is still on board, primarily like an advisor role. He's writing shotgun to Tony Gilroy, who was brought in to supervise the reshoots. It wasn't Gareth 
It was uh, Gareth was there out of out of respect to Gareth and probably because he's he's a great guy. Right. But he did not oversee those reshoots. It was Tony Gilroy and the re-editing going on right now. Tony Gilroy overseeing it. No, it's not two different editing rooms. It's one editing room with Tony Gilroy and Gareth Edwards in there together. But it's Tony Gilroy calling the shots. It really is. That's that's what I've been hearing, and that's what yeah. I you know that that's what I, I come to understand is is uh, what's happening behind the scenes. Again, I'm not saying that this is cause for panic. I think personally, it's great. I think it's great. They use all their resources, all the time they have, all the manpower at their disposal to create a great film. And that's what I expect from Rogue One, a great film. And I know there's, there's skeptics out there, uh, even within Lucasfilm itself, saying, oh, this will never be as good as The Force Awakens. Well, you know, guess what? The Force Awakens was the number one all-time box office champ in U.S. history. What are you going to do? You think you're going to keep repeating that over and over and over again? You're not the 1920s Yankees. You're not going to keep <laughs> winning the World Series year after year. But respectability at the box office, I think Krogon will get that in spades. I think it'll be, you know, a, a, a huge hit, if not the biggest hit of uh, 2016. So I, I, but you know, it's it's got big shoes to fill with the Force Awakens, and I think that um, any effort to replicate the success of the Force Awakens has to be weighing on the minds of the people who are funding this film. And you know who that is. That's Lucasfilm and that's Disney. And that's Bob Iger sitting up on top of the mountain saying, I want it this way. And he's going to get uh, there. And the, that's and, the share, and the shareholders. And the share, of course, and Kathleen Kennedy. So it's right. a much bigger ball game than Star Wars was when George Lucas ran it, when it was an individual artistic expression that, mm. you know, I mean, of course, George had a lot of help in realizing his individual artistic expression, but there's no doubt that the buck stopped right at his desk. Nowadays, the buck gets passed around to a bunch of different offices, a bunch of different people. People get brought in. It's a much more collaborative effort than it ever was before. Hey, so, you mentioned um, your theory about the perhaps what Edwards uh, is talking about here, about the, the team having to go and secure a person from... Uh, this group uh, and then then I'm looking at the what looks to be the rebel pilot that's being um, uh, dragged uh, or you know paraded with a, with a group of other pilots and had the blood on his face that's Bodie Rook that's Bodie just realizing this for the first time you're kidding me that's no. Bodie in the X-wing pilot that is Bodie Rook and now I realize why Jin looks back because they're trying to spring him that's what that's what I think. Go ahead and look at the the photo of the prisoner, uh, the lead prisoner there that's being marched by the uh, by the stormtroopers on Jeddah. So that's the guy. So Jim, I think you you're onto something. You were just sort of tossing that out there, and now as I look at this photo of the prisoner who has the blood again, on again, off again, on again, I believe that is Bodhi. And there's also a photo in the Entertainment Weekly piece that shows Bodie with a, a wound on that sort of upper right-hand side of his, uh, of his head. So Let me take a look here. With that beard, that's Bodie. I'm having trouble even. I, it's hard to tell because his head is down. Right. And it's just he just doesn't look like, 
And then when you see him later in the film, his hair is pulled back in kind of a ponytail. Um, and he doesn't have that ponytail in, in this shot. Um, but I am 95% certain that's hmm. Bodhi Rook. I can't confirm. I mean, I, I'm, I'm giving you a maybe on it. I'm just wondering who's doing all the digital touch-ups on this. Is it Mr. Miyagi? Blood on, blood off. Blood on, blood off. You do. Uh, all right. So can I, can I dovetail now? Am I allowed to dovetail? Let's do the dovetail. All right, I'm going to dovetail, uh, and um, it's, again, this sort of ties into our next story about episode eight and some speculation that's going on. But uh, for those of you collectors out there, September 30th is the new Force Friday, or this year's Force Friday. You could call it Rogue Friday, perhaps. Uh, this is when the uh, onslaught of merchandise for Rogue One hit store shelves. But is it an onslaught? I don't know. You be the judge. Uh, Hasbro, if we're going to use them as the barometer, Hasbro has on uh, September 30th plans to release one, two, three, four action figures based on characters from Rogue One. These are the this is the six inch scale, right? This is the Black Series. We're going to get a Jin or so, which we've already seen. It's a it was a San Diego Comic Con exclusive and a celebration exclusive. Uh, Captain Cassian Andor, K2SO, and a Death Trooper. Later in the fall, we'll be treated to a Director Krennic and a Scarif Stormtrooper. So now we're up to a whopping six characters. Again, the only characters we're seeing or that are being confirmed to be uh, uh, put out for Rogue One is Jin of the, of the group is Jin, Cassian, and K2SO. Uh, the rest are the uh, the baddies. As far as the uh, what Jim calls the heart of Star Wars collecting, the three and three quarter inch line, we're only looking at Jen Urso, two different Jen Ursos, K two SO, Director Krennic, and Cassian Andor. And really, on Force Friday or Rogue Friday, we're only going to see K two SO and Jin Urso in that first wave. Some other things coming out like uh, some role play items, diecast lightsabers, and nerf. But uh, this is a pretty small list of figures and uh, merchandise coming out for Rogue One. Now, I don't think anyone was under the uh, impression that we were going to get the same amount of merchandise for one of these films as we have or did for The Force Awakens. But that seems a little thin, especially considering uh, the lengths that are going to, you know, really brand this team. And uh, as JC said before, you know, he left us. This is an ensemble piece. This is an ensemble film. It's about this group. And right now we're only seeing love being shown for Andor, Cassian Andor and uh, and Jin and K2SO. I don't like this. Where's Saw? Where's oh Chirrut is coming out. He's in Wave Two, and that'll be no, available. no. There's no Chirrut. Yeah, Wave Two in the the five um, and three quarter inch. The uh, the I'm sorry, the three and three quarter inch. Did well, I miss him? There's a Wave Two coming out in November. That includes Chirrut. Oh, yep. I'm sorry, I missed him. Yeah, Chirrut is coming out. Okay, and, and then an interesting release: Princess Leia Rebels. Oh yeah, well, right. I guess I guess that's the action figure from the animated series. I, right. I was, yeah. I was thinking it could be 
Leia in her resistance gear from TFA, which is yet to be released. Oh, tell me about what's yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh okay, Jin or so it looks like there's another version of Jin right. coming out. Um and uh Cassian. Um right. so who are we missing here? We we still don't have Bays. No Bays. No uh uh, 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 he's the only one that's missing from. Like, well, no, no, the, no, Bodhi Rook, the core crew, no Bodhi Rook, right. and uh, and again, as I said, no Saw, right? No, yeah, no Saw Guerrera. Wonder how much Saw is actually in this film. You know, yeah. I mean, because he doesn't Good seem question. like he's part of like their ground crew. You know, I, it, it seems like the crew is going to be made up of mostly Chirrut. And Baze and Jin and Cassian. Right. And I predict two of the four will survive. Well, maybe, well, you know, Saw could be the one that they're trying to, to find there on. Yes, yes. On Jeddah. I and- believe they find Saw, they have some sort of, you know, scene with him that. That provides us a, with a lot of uh, exposition about the plot. You know, move the plot forward. He'll he'll probably lay down some some wisdom on the characters that they need to have to move forward. He's you know, but I I don't know if if I believe we'll see him necessarily on the battlefield. We'll probably see him in action some way, but apparently he gets his hair cut. We found that out. It's so confusing. He, he was, he was, he confirmed to Anthony at Entertainment Weekly that you'll see both versions of Saw with right. hair, without hair. Yeah. Uh, there's also stories online that talk about this being the first film. This is a, a little bit gray to me, but there's there's people out there saying, "Well, this is the first film that it's first Star Wars film rather that it's been confirmed will have flashback scenes." Um. Some have jumped up and said, well, that's not true. Force Awakens, there's flashback scenes that uh, Ray has in uh, Maz Kanata's castle. And then others are saying, well, that doesn't really count. It's a force vision. I don't know. Anyway, so people making a lot of um, speculation at this point. Speaking of speculation, now this is something, this was uh, over at Furious Fanboys, and they're the only guys I know that are... Uh, outwardly talking about this and throwing this out as a possibility. Uh, Jim, it wasn't that long ago John Williams was uh, in concert at Tanglewood leading the Boston Pops, his old uh, orchestra, Yeah, and uh, in some of his own music, and he talked about and confirmed that he would indeed be back to score episode eight. And we actually have a clip here of John Williams. It requires a little bit of a setup. Number one, this is an outdoor venue. And it was raining outside. Mm. Number two, this is a video shot by someone's handheld camcorder or whatever, or phone maybe. Who knows? But it's picking up a lot of the rain. So you'll Did hear you it. Did you say camcorder? I said camcorder. What do you want from me? <laughs> Can't say camcorder anymore? No, not really. Why? <laughs> Why can't I no say one has one? No one has one. Well, I mean, they might have it collecting dust up on a shelf somewhere, but uh, enough. Right. That's they a generic term. Yeah. You know what I mean, okay? <laughs> I know. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know. I show my age sometimes, but that's that's, that's part of my charming personality. Jim uh, still has to break out the thirty-five millimeter, prop it up on his shoulder when the kids are around playing. <laughs> There's no audio. So my, I'm like 
hurry up and do it, kids. My back's killing me holding this thing. <laughs> Tipping over on one side. But um, so somebody's like there in the venue toward the back shooting this thing. So you're going to hear the rainfall. You're probably going to mistake it for static or what have you. But, I mean, just listen closely because Williams, he starts talking about The Force Awakens. And specifically, he talks about, and this is something that we've talked about before, he talks about his love for the character Ray. John Williams is infatuated with Ray. He got a crush. So <laughs> so he's up there. Well, don't we all, actually? Yeah. But John does this thing where he, he talks to the audience for a few minutes before he starts conducting the orchestra. It's really cool, you know, and he, it makes it feel homey and everything. And you get to hear John Williams talk. So here he is addressing the crowd there. And um, he, he does talk about Ray. And then he starts talking specifically about Star Wars Episode Eight. So everyone listen really closely to hear what John's saying. And then we'll come back and we'll talk about it. When I first saw the film a year or so ago, I became absolutely in love with Ray, the girl Daisy Woodward. I was completely crazy about her. First, she, first of all, she's a fantastic actress. She can be very funny and very serious, and she's very beautiful. And she's a fantastic athlete, which you can never she moved and did sword fights and run and all just tumbling and all these brilliant things. And so, <laughs> so uh, our producer, Kathy Kennedy, called me in the Disney studio a few weeks ago. said, you like to do the new, new Star Wars? And I said, well, yeah, I, yes, I think I would. But the honest truth is I don't want anybody else to write music for Daisy. <laughs> so in a few weeks, I'll receive a first viewing of, of, of it. And uh, some of the Ray's father is, we don't know, we'll find out. Oh, oh! What was that? He said. We, he said we still don't know who Ray's father is yet, but we'll find out. Uh huh. But basically, uh-huh. all John said there was he said <laughs> in a few weeks he's going to be getting his first screening of Episode Eight. Now, what mm-hmm. could that mean? What is he going to be seeing? Is he going to be seeing some, you know, patched work, pieced together film? You know, very rough cut. Is he going to be seeing a? A film that might be ready for release soon. Who knows? Here's what I thought of right away, Jason, is just the fact that because a lot of people were erroneously reporting this by saying that John Williams is is starting work on the film in a few weeks. He's starting work on the score in a few weeks. And while that may be kind of true, because obviously his, his creativity will start flowing when he's watching the movie... And that is essentially beginning work on the film. But I don't think that he's quite at the point where he's going to start out and out composing for it because it seems so far off. This is something that he, he should be talking about doing about a year from now, considering that this film has a December well, 2018 release date. Sure. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, December 2017. Well, December, yeah, December 2017. So we're talking about a movie that's 16 months away, but he's going to be seeing a rough cut. Uh, I mean, by now, by this time, he may have already seen it. He didn't say rough cut. He did not say rough cut. He he said he's going to be shown the movie. Right. That's not saying that it's a rough cut. Well, if it doesn't have... Well, sure, it's a rough cut. It's not going to have all the special effects done. It has to be a rough cut. They just wrapped filming. They just wrapped filming at at the beginning of the summer, right? 
Yeah. So, so it's a rough cut. He's not, you know, he's not going to use that insider terminology, but I think we can assume that it's a rough cut. But if we go back and the guys at Furious Fanboys, they talk about this. They said, you know, um, the majority of the recording of The Force Awakens was done in October, two months prior to the release of the film. And he began writing some themes during the summer. Uh, but that's still just a few months prior to the film's release. Now, with seeing a rough cut of the movie 16 months away, what does that mean? Now, Disney does have their tentpole films uh, scheduled, you know, of course, way years in advance. And the May 2017 slot is right now currently held by Pirates of the Caribbean 5, the fifth film in the Pirates um, saga. What they're speculating. And they're using John Williams, his quote, as talking about, you know, implying that work on the Episode 8 score is imminent. The call from Kathleen Kennedy, the, 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 what he's going to be, Ryan Johnson's going to be showing him the film. Uh, the word that Hasbro seems to have an inordinate lack of merchandise planned for Rogue One. Does that mean, could that mean that Star Wars Episode Eight will actually be moved up in the schedule, replace Pirates, and be out in time for the actual 40th anniversary and reclaim Star Wars place as having that May release time frame? So they're out there saying... Uh, you know, unless Lucasfilm plans to finish episode eight early and have it just sitting on the shelf for six months, a moving date back starts to sound less crazy. The thing that they really have going for them with that sort of speculation is their acknowledgement of the 40th anniversary of the franchise. Mm -hmm. But how important is is it for Disney to cash in on something like that? Well, I think it's very important. I think it's very important. You know, they rushed Spectre to get out in time, or excuse me, they rushed um, Skyfall to get out in time for the 50th anniversary of Bond. You know, they needed to get, you know, these, these big anniversaries, they matter. That's when all the DVDs get re-released. That's when all the merchandise comes out. That's when the press is willing to give all kinds of uh, coverage and treatment to, uh, to these things. I think it's very important. But how likely do you think it is? I mean, you're, you're taking a, a, a few things. I mean, we do, have, we do have some evidence here, you know, uh, pointing in that direction. We have limited uh, release for the, the, the merchandise for Rogue One, the action, you know, all that stuff. The, the Force Friday thing doesn't seem like a big hullabaloo like it has been in the years past. And I have had people ask us if we're going to do another one of those all-nighter podcast for for this year's <laughs> for, uh, you know I can't even I, think about that I'm, I'm, I'll be doing an all nighter as I sit at my computer keyboard on Amazon ordering this stuff <laughs> but no I'm not going out there to any stores and we're not doing a four hour show I, last year I mean go back and listen to the podcast the, the proof <laughs> is all right there you hear the disappointment in everyone's yeah. voice so, I mean it's it, it just that ship has sailed you know um Give us more bang for our buck or, you know, more merchandise for our time. Let us fill up those carts. But, you know, they're, they're being very um, protective and conservative about the way they approach 
Rogue One, it appears. And I think they've been a little too conservative in the way that at least Hasbro has approached the Force Awakens. I'm still looking for that Snoke action figure. I'm still, but again, you know, somebody did. I, I should just shut up because somebody explained to me recently. I, I appeared on this podcast called Toy Run, and it's about these guys who know, you know, their, their life is collecting Star Wars action figures, just like mine has been. And um, they informed me that Hasbro did not see any sort of designs for Luke in the Force Awakens. Prior to the film's release, they saw Luke the same way we did. And um, it takes apparently 12 to 18 months from concept to merchandise when you are creating Star Wars action figures. So we can expect to get that Luke figure sometime in 2017 is what I've been told. Maybe toward the end of this year. 2017 for sure. Yeah, you're probably right. And and. We spoke about this in the lead up to the release of The Force Awakens. And we said, look, this is kind of, uh, well, I think I think that it actually confirms some of the rumors that we were hearing prior to uh, Force Awakens coming out. That the, the secrecy, which is, you know, one of J.J.'s M.O.'s, mm-hmm. um, really, really was upsetting the uh, the licensees. Uh, we knew that about uh, what what that same sim- that same thing happened with Star Trek, and the merchandise for the Star Trek film in uh, 2011, um, and I think that you know there you go. I, I mean, good lord, uh, George Lucas was a pretty secretive guy, and we had all kinds of uh, action figures and designs and characters and everything all over the place, uh, it, you know, for the original trilogy. And even the prequel trilogy, we had sneak peek figures and all, you know, all that stuff. Um, I, I think it's completely unacceptable that the licensees were, were not given that. And I look, I know that there was probably concern about it leaking. But guess what? It already it did leak. We had that picture of Luke in his robes for months yeah, there was prior a, to the release of the movie, there was a shot. It was a very candid shot of Mark Hamill in full wardrobe. It looked like yeah. he was—he might have been like going to get scanned. You know how they do the scan for the gentle giant? They scan you. Yeah, and that's what they use as the basis for the the merchandise. But um, yeah, a, a photo of him from that leaked. I think yeah. that's what it was from. I, I'm not 100 percent sure. Yeah, it could have been that, or just you know, just reference photos for the costume or what have you. Um, but uh, no, I, I or well, you know what it could have been, Jim. It could have been when he was filming that shot of him putting his hand up on R two. He might have because I think that was probably all done on on green screen. <laughs> oh, do I have to keep the beard for this? <laughs> you don't even see it. <laughs> but anyway, um, no, I, I, I you know I don't always be complaining and crying about this, but I, I just I think not having a a Luke Skywalker action figure on the shelf for kids to buy and well, kids and me to buy um, for his triumphant return back to the big screen. Really, really not smart. Really not smart. Not to, you know, Hey, they made plenty of money, uh, but I think they left a lot of money on the table and also just kind of left a bad taste in, in some of the fans uh, mouths, including mine. But so, Overall, what do you think of this theory? What do you, what do you give it on a scale of one to five? 
Five being a certainty, one being an absolutely no chance. What do you say? Episode eight gets moved to a May 2017 release. I'll, um, I'm going to give it a two. I'm going to give it a two. Just, two. Just, I don't think that they're going to shift that release date. I think that, you know, regardless of how Rogue One does, and I think Rogue One's going to do just fine in the box office, I, I think they're still going to be banking on that, uh, that December release. They already have a film lined up for uh, May. I don't think the 40th anniversary is really, at the end of the day, the most important thing to, uh, to Lucasfilm, as long as they can still squeeze out a film during that 40th year. They'll, they'll still find a way to market it, you know? So I think uh, the, the likelihood is slim, but I'm not ruling it out. I'm not ruling it out. I, 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 I respect the speculation, and I respect the amount of evidence that's been placed in front of us, so I cannot fully rule it out, but I think it's a long shot that it's going to get moved to May. I'll tell you what I think is probably a better bet is that we could see a re-release of the original seven, well, now seven uh, films, perhaps, during that spring and summer time frame for the 40th anniversary, it could be more likely that we would get a re-release of A New Hope on the big screen for, uh, for that anniversary. Or maybe finally get that 3D release. Or the 3D release. Yeah, you never know. Although I think if they were working on that, we'd have, we'd have heard about that by now. Because that's going to take some time with, those, uh, with the original trilogy. But anyway, fun to think about. Um, we, we talked about it at the top of the show. I was joking about it a little bit, but Natalie Portman was, uh, featured in the LA times. She's been, uh, living in, uh, uh, Paris, I guess for a while, uh, recently filming a movie in London at Pinewood studios. And while there, while there, get this, she went to the set of. Rogue One and Episode Eight. Can you believe this? Hmm. Natalie Portman, <laughs> who's never really had all that much great to say about Star Wars. Uh, the stories are that she didn't seem to enjoy her time making the prequels. Her chemistry or lack thereof with actor Hayden Christensen is uh, legendary. Mm -hmm. um, though there were rumors. I don't know if you remember that, Jim. Do you remember the rumors that they were dating? I heard during that, episode yeah. two, or they were having yeah. a little fling. There was something. But then I heard there, rumors yeah. that she, you know that that he smelled and she couldn't stand him. It was all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> the sparks were flying either way, but you know Hayden does like to go out and play tennis, and so, you know, he's probably working up a lot of sweat and <laughs> and smoking, smoking. You know, so you got that uh, smoke smell and sweat smell. You know, very musky. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, Natalie Portman uh, interviewed in the L.A. Times and uh, they asked her about seeing uh, going, you know, going back to her uh, Star Wars roots. And she said, it's fun to see that Star Wars lives on. And now having a little boy, I see how deeply it lives in kids culture. Um, her son, um, Aleph, A-L-E-P-H, has not seen any of the films, but he's familiar with the characters because of the Star Wars Lego games. I'm telling you, that is the gateway drug, parents. It is. You got young kids, and you want to introduce them to the wars, and you haven't done it yet. Get them into the Lego. Worked for me. Um, she says he's very Yoda-centric. 
So can you imagine you're a kid and you're just kind of getting into this Star Wars thing and Lego, and then your mom drops this bomb on you <laughs> and tells you that she's Luke Skywalker's mom. It's unbelievable. Oh, Mom, you were in Star Wars. This ruins everything. I mean, <laughs> it ruins everything. It's not cool anymore. No. It's not cool no, anymore. Oh, my mom. She likes Star Wars. She does Star Oh, what? Sorry, man. Yeah, I, I have to remember to turn off the ringer during the show, but let me snag oh. this real fast, okay? All right. All right. Yeah, Sorry. Yeah. Hello? Matt? Yeah, don't... They- well, I know Jay- Jason said the thing about the chemistry. That was not me. Not this time. No. It wasn't just me. A lot of people said that. Well, they're talking about how you went to the set. I thought you would have told me about this. Why were you there? Oh, for that movie Annihilation, huh? Wait, you're going to annihilate who? Hello? Hello? Nat? Nat? She's going to annihilate what? Nat? Natalie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Natalie. Now, you got your own show. Radio. You know what you love it. From Tops comes the digital card collecting app, Star Wars Card Trader. Yes, collect and trade over 1,000 officially licensed Star Wars digital cards. All of your favorite characters, vehicles, and locations from the Star Wars universe are here, including replicas of those amazing and iconic original 1977 top Star Wars trading cards to futuristic all-new cards with exciting digital twists. And of course, you can find exclusive content from the all-time U.S. box office champ, Star Wars The Force Awakens. Download it today in the App Store or in Google Play. And of course, we're using the Star Wars Card Trader app here at Rebel Force Radio. You can always trade with us here 24-7, 365 days a year. Just search username Rebel Force Radio and do it all from the comfort of your mobile device. It's the Tops Star Wars Card Trader app. These are the cards you're looking for. It's unthinkable. All right, William Shatner making our outrageous, unthinkable uh, story of the week. By the way, speaking of Bill Shatner, have you seen that uh, that show advertised with him and Henry Winkler and Terry Bradshaw? No. It's like a. It's like that. But what was that movie? Bucket List with uh, Jack Nicholson and uh, and Morgan Freeman. That's what this that's what this TV show basically is. It's these three old dudes uh and they're they're like traveling the world and having these crazy adventures. This Henry the, Winkler the Fonz, Fonz, Bill Shatner, Captain Kirk, Kirk, and Terry Bradshaw, legendary Pitt- Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback. Anyway, sounds good. I want to see it. It's a, is it a show or is it a movie? <laughs> it's, a t- it's a TV show. Like they're doing this reality show. Oh, it's a reality show. Yeah, it's on NBC. So they're they're not in character. They're just themselves. 
Hold it's on. they're themselves. Hold but on. I said it's kind of like that bucket list. Way, you know. Hold on, I got to set the DVR for this one. What's it called? <laughs> what is this? Called? I, I don't know. That I can't remember the name of it. But what is this called? We need the phone. Hold on. Oh, jeez. Hold on. Sorry. Oh. Sorry about this, man. I meant, That's all right. That's I meant all right. to turn the ringer off. Hello? Well, no, it looks like it's a good show. What do you mean it's stupid? Hello? Hello? <laughs> Is that Natalie Portman weighing in on the... Uh... She says it looks stupid. <laughs> uh, it's called Better Late Than Never. Oh, I got to see this. Better late yeah. than never. Okay. Better cool. late than never. Cool. All right. William Shatner. Wait, it looks like George. Wait a minute. George Foreman's on this too? Oh, this just keeps getting better and better. Better late than never. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Winkler, Shatner, Bradshaw, and George Foreman. I saw it. get jo- weird. I- ex- they eat exotic food. Oh, my God. <laughs> I saw George Foreman defeat. I don't know about you know wanting to sit around and see what happens after a bunch of eighty plus year old guys eat a lot of exotic food. Henry Winkler's not eighty. No, Henry Winkler. Neither George Shatz Foreman. Is. George Foreman isn't eighty. He's like in his sixties, maybe. But uh, that sounds like a cool show. Thanks for the tip. Better late than never on NBC. I'm in. Yeah. All right, you're 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 all about it. Okay. Uh, anyway, William Shatner uh, was uh, recently at a uh, Star Trek convention, the big one in Las Vegas. I think it's the big annual Trek show. When he told fans in the room that Star Trek was, and this is a quote, created by Star Wars. Of course, this left a lot of fans puzzled, considering that the original Star Trek television series was off the air eight years before the first Star Wars film hit theaters, but Shatner clarified. He said, first of all, Star Wars created Star Trek. You know that? Every year there was a threat to be canceled. The third year we were canceled, and everybody accepted it. At Paramount Studios, or excuse me, uh, and everybody accepted it, Shatner explained, going on to say that Star Wars' unexpected success sent Paramount scrambling to find a comparable franchise. At Paramount Studios, they were running around, bumping into each other. What do we got? What do we got to equal Star Wars? This is a big thing. There was this thing that we canceled under another management. It was called Star Trek. I love when they quote Shatner and they actually have the ellipsis, the dot, dot, dot. That's how you have to do it. Every third word. Yeah, let's resurrect (laughs) that. So it was Star Wars that thrust Star Trek into the people of Paramount's consciousness. I don't. So I don't know. No, listen, th- th- part of what he's saying there's there is truth in what he's saying. Yes, but Paramount. I don't know if they were necessarily scrambling to find a franchise because during that time, during number one, during the the seventies, there were serious attempts to bring Star Trek back to television in a show called Star Trek Phase Two. Okay. This- is correct yes and paramount was developing this yes when yes. star wars hit and paramount realized well maybe we 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 should consider shifting star trek to the silver screen because star wars has just proven that science fiction as a genre can be a money maker which the studios didn't believe at that time at all Sci- sci-fi was dead at that time. No, it was all very cerebral. You yeah, know, it was, it was movies like 2010. Yeah. 
well, 2001 in, in 2001, rather. Yeah. That, that, that was one that kind of broke the mold, but it didn't really set a trend. There weren't all of a sudden all these space movies after 2001 that tried to emulate that story. There, there weren't so many copycat spinoffs. No, of no. I, what I'm saying is sci-fi wasn't, you know, wasn't tied to big blockbuster uh, franchise films. It wasn't about adventure. It was more cerebral things like a 2001, like a Close Encounters. So what I'm saying, though, is when Star Wars was the big hit, they took what they were developing for Star Trek Phase 2 and molded it into Star Trek the motion picture. So it wasn't like Paramount was scrambling looking for a franchise. All they did was just shift gears with the Star Trek franchise that they were already starting to nurture for a comeback. So, I mean, that's a fact. That's a fact. Now, however, it is because of the success of Star Wars that that propelled Star Trek from television to the film screen. That cannot be denied. That's a fact. But, I mean, that's because Star Wars started a whole trend. I mean, Star Trek was just one of the many properties in Hollywood that was affected by the arrival of Star Wars on the scene, you know? So... Uh, I, I, I hear what Shatner's saying, but I don't accept it really on face value so much, especially the part that he says Paramount was scrambling to find a franchise. They had the franchise. They had been working with that franchise, and they had planned to bring that franchise back to television. All they right. did was just shift gears, put it on movie screens. Yeah, I mean, the the, the conventions were at that time already in full force. There was... Uh, a lot of love and affection for the show. It was uh, doing crazy. Uh, it was crazy successful in the uh, in syndication after its initial run. There was an animated series. So you're right, Jim. Uh, Paramount hadn't completely turned their back on on Star Trek, but I think what they realized was that they could actually do it even bigger and bolder on the big screen. Yeah, of course. Rather than the small screen. By the way, um, for those of you who don't know, Star Trek Phase 2, a lot of that concept work, in particular the design for the Enterprise for that series, was done by Ralph McQuarrie. Yes, and some of that's being resurrected for the new Star Trek series that's going to launch on CBS on their uh, all-access app starting in January called Star Trek Discovery. And the ship is basically an exact replica of the ship that Ralph designed for that TV show. Yeah. Very cool stuff. By the way, it doesn't end there. Shatner went on to talk about the difference between Star Wars and Star Trek. This is where it always gets good. He says, Star Trek is at its best when it tells human stories. It's philosophical. There's humanity. There's a principle involved. And it's well done. It's about people. Star Wars was grand like opera. It was huge with great special effects. It was a marvelously entertaining film, but it wasn't specifically about people the way those Star Treks were. So, once again, Star Wars, uh, great, big action, Star Trek for the smart people. Did you watch? I love that. It's always, it's always the. Well, I mean, we've, we've heard this a million times. Yeah, I mean, that, that's nothing fresh. But did you watch that video link I sent you, that Shatner video from that vintage video from the 70s? Oh, my God, it's brilliant. Where he's sitting in a chair, folks. I, I don't know what TV <laughs> in show In a tuxedo. Is. He's in a tuxedo. He's leaning over, just making love to his cigarette. I mean, just dragging on this thing like it's the last cigarette anyone ever smoked. 
one of his terrible yeah, golden yeah. throats <laughs> rendition. But he's playing it up so straight and serious. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing campy or funny about it. It's it's just oh, it's it's, it's a bit campy. Well, it's campy, okay, but it's more awkward than camp. It really is. That cigarette, that never-ending cigarette that he's. I mean, back in the day when you could smoke cigarettes on TV, folks, it was really something else. Shatner knew how to do it. That cigarette takes forever. It's like the whole five-minute tune. God. So you know what? He does that talk sing. If you've never heard Shatner sing, he doesn't really sing. I think it's going to be a long, long time. Till Touchdown, bring me around again and fine. I'm not the man they think I am. Oh, no, no, no. (laughs) I'm a rock man. Rocket Man, burning out his fuse out here alone. <laughs> <laughs> he sort of just recites it like it's a poem. And he's got a whole album of this. That Mr. Tambourine Man, he did. And uh, yeah, Lucy in the Sky. <laughs> we'll put the video up on the Rebel Force Radio Facebook page. But you got to yeah. see this, folks. <laughs> William Shatner. Oh, my God. Well, and of course, he did uh, serenade George Lucas at the AFI tribute for George uh, doing a version of My Way. And if you saw that, you know, that's that's about the extent of his, no, but of he's, his singing. He's goofing on that one. This one, this <laughs> video I have with the cigarette, he's serious as a heart attack. He really is. Oh, all right. We got a couple more for you here. Rebel Force Radio. You've already made that Star Wars reference. Your source for the Force. Star Wars parody! (laughs) All right, we mentioned it a couple weeks ago, and if you've been hiding under a rock, uh, get out from under it and get on Netflix and check out Stranger Things, this amazing eight-episode TV series from, uh, from Netflix, specifically for... Uh, the streaming network, it's just so good, and uh, there's nothing I can say that um, it hasn't already been said about it, but there's some really great Star Wars references in this, several, as a matter of fact. Yeah, there's a couple of good ones I noted here and there. We did play the one with the Yoda figure, and we spoke about the Millennium Falcon cameo appearance, so there's not really any good audio to go along with that one. But as we get over to Episode 7... Uh, our, our favorite and and greatest uh, Baron Administrator of Cloud City <laughs> gets his day in the sun. Um, it's, it's really a great moment, and it, it's recurring. So um, the character, uh, is his name Dustin, uh, the kid? Um, yeah, I think so, yeah. yeah, yeah. He's, he's freaking out because they're being pursued by government agents, I'll explain this without spoiling it, but these are 13-year-old kids, and so they're freaking out. They're hiding in this abandoned bus, and and Dustin keeps bringing up Lando. They're being, you know, he he keeps saying it because he believes they're being set up, like Lando was set up by the Empire. But he doesn't ever say that. He just says Lando Calrissian. You know, he when he's nervous, and and everyone's like, "What do you mean?" And he just looks at him. He says, "Lando," (laughs) and we know what he means. Oh yeah. He means he fears they're being set up. And then at one point, when they're hiding out, out on the bus, this, this poor kid, he has a complete meltdown. Check this out. You know what? Maybe you're right. Maybe this is all a trap, and the bad men are coming to get us right now. It's not a trap. Why would the chief set us up? Nancy, maybe. But the chief? Lando Calrissian. 
Would you shut up about Lando? I don't feel good about this. I don't feel good about <laughs> that. You feel good about anything. <laughs> Lando Calrissian. And the, the one kid's always defending Lando. Yes. But that's all you have to say right there. Yeah. Lando Calrissian. In that moment, when you think you're being set up, Lando Calrissian, people will have to understand that you're being set up like Lando was. Yeah. Before you know it, Hello, everybody in Cloud City. This is Lando Calrissian. <laughs> the Empire has taken over the city. I advise you run like hell. <laughs> LC out. Would you shut up about Lando? So, oh, my God. One of many. There's a few other references, but I don't want to spoil them all here on Rebel Force Radio. Go see Stranger Things on Netflix if you haven't. What are you waiting for? And you can watch it with your family, too. Yeah, no, it's great. It's really great entertainment, and it's just it harkens back to everything you loved as a, a kid growing up in the 70s and 80s and uh, wonderful genre me, entertainment. It's like E.T. meets It meets The Goonies meets Star Wars, Close Encounters, all of it. It's just X-Files. Awesome. X-Files. Big X-Files. Let me amend that thing I said about you can show it to the family, too, because I don't want to get any emails because the kids do. They use more language than the bad news bears did after a terrible <laughs> loss. I mean, well, you know, I mean, it, yeah, there's I, some dams and some shits, but there are no F-bombs in that. OK, well, there you have it. Yeah. So um, oh, gosh, it, it's, I, it's I, such I, a it's I, such a great show, though. I guess and, I just cussed. I, well, I know you cussed. Yeah, and sorry. I'm, <laughs> I'm not bleeping it, folks. I'm not bleeping it. <laughs> that's swank for you. That's that's. <laughs> That's the swank I have to do. I'm with. saved by the quotes. I was quoting the show. I uh, anyway. All right, let's move on. So, world's loudest ship horn blast the Star Wars theme song. I haven't heard about this. What's this? This is crazy. A friend of mine passed along this article to me. There's this this giant container ship, and it was docking at the port of Hamburg in Germany, and it was being christened. And uh, I guess as part of the celebration, the captain sounded the ship's horns, and the I don't know how we pulled it off, and it sounds really weird, but he was able to play the Star Wars theme. I have no idea how he was able to do this. I mean, it must have been something he programmed, and it sounds unlike any other horn I've ever heard. At the end of the recording, because we're going to play it for you so you can hear it for yourself, at the end of the recording, you'll hear another ship start blasting its horn, and that sounds more like a traditional horn that you would hear a seafaring ship use, but this is the MSC Zoe. And uh, it's it's uh, pulling into the port of Hamburg, and there's a ton of people watching. People are shooting video, and and uh, our microphones were there. So here it is, the world's loudest <laughs> ship horn. Somewhere there's a captain saying, oh, would you get Frank off the horn? <laughs> just, just good. Blast him out of there. <laughs> but that's something else. That it's, it sounds like either uh, the, the world's loudest ship horn or it sounds like 
an elephant at the zoo with a terrible case of uh, you know indigestion. But that's that's what it is. That's that you know everyone loves Star Wars. Star Wars is everywhere, and uh, apparently there it is at the port of Hamburg on board the MSC Zoe. I was thinking it sounded like William Shatner, Terry Bradshaw, George Foreman, <laughs> Henry Winkler after a night of exotic food. Would you shut up about Lando? Oh, excuse me. Excuse me. <laughs> Was that the Star Wars theme? <laughs> What's wrong with you, Bill? Uh, oh, this was a lot of fun. Uh, great show tonight. Big thanks to uh, our guest, J.C. Reifenberg. Thanks for hanging out with us, J.C. If you'd like to hang out with us in between shows, you can do so. Show at rebelforceradio.com. That's the email address. And I'm flying blind here. I don't have my show notes. What just happened? <laughs> hey, that's okay. You know what? We say the same thing at the end of every show. This week, we don't have to. We don't Who have cares? to. Hey, you know what? Thank you to Little Debbie and Tops. Thank you, J.C. Reifenberg. And uh, thank you, uh, the, the captain of the uh, Zoe, for uh, giving us that little uh, treatment of the Star Wars main theme. And uh, it's... it's uh, there it is. <laughs> Maybe that should be our new show theme. <laughs> that could be sad. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, that's going to do it for us. Obviously, uh, check us out on uh, iTunes. You can download and subscribe to the show. Tell us what you think about it on those reviews. Uh, just one rule, please. Make them good. And, of course, your source for all things and everything, Rebel Force Radio, the official website, rebelforceradio.com. Our Facebook group is just ready and waiting for you to join some great conversation and some really wonderful folks there on Facebook and our official Facebook page also there for your enjoyment we're on the Twitter at Rebel Force Radio at Jimmy Mac Radio at Jason Swank and you can see us all around the web we're streaming you're able to download us we're there where you need us where you want us and we'll see you next time for Rebel Force Radio, I'm Jason. I'm Jimmy Mack. And remember, the Force will be with you always. Now, well, that didn't work out very well. Would you shut up about Lando?